God's word in Luke chapter 9. We're going to read the first uh, six verses. Luke chapter 9, verses 1 to 6. Just a little bit of a context. We've just finished our last sermon series in the book of Nehemiah. And we're returning to a second part of uh, looking under the title of uh, Simply Jesus at uh, It Does What It Says on the Tin. Just the life of Jesus, the teaching of Jesus. And in a time like this, when there are so many messages flying about, and if you're around sort of church leadership uh, scenes, everybody's got a take on the events in the world. Everybody's got a take on where we should be doing, what should be happening. And I find it incredibly refreshing to simplify it by returning back to the teaching of Jesus and to the life of Jesus. So that's what we're going to do over the next few months. So we're continuing uh, in Luke chapter 9, and we're going to read the first six verses. When Jesus had called the twelve together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. He told them, Take nothing for the journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra tunic. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave town. If people do not welcome you, shake the dust of your feet when you leave their town as a testimony against them. So they set out and went from village to village, preaching the gospel and healing people everywhere. Now, Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was going on, and he was perplexed, because some of them were saying that John had been raised from the dead, others that Elijah had appeared, and still others that one of the prophets of long ago had come back to life. But Herod said, I beheaded John, who then is this I hear such things about? And he tried to see him. I remember watching a movie um, a few years ago now. I can't even remember exactly how long it was. Um, and, and by the way, if I'm making any cultural references, they are not spiritual recommendations. I keep saying that. I will never ever forget when I quoted Bridget Jones's diary and somebody proceeded to read the book. Um, thankfully, it was Viv Stamford, so she was very understanding, but I think, you know, some eyebrows were raised at, at the stuff in there. So you get the point. I'm not necessarily recommending you go and watch it. It, it was, what drove me to it, it was the fact that it was a Jack Nicholson fan, and I'm a uh, film, and I'm quite a fan of Jack Nicholson, and uh, he, he stars as, a, a, as Warren Schmidt, who's a retired... Um, sort of uh, vice president of uh, this insurance company. And he looks back at his life, and it's incredibly meaningless because everything was wrapped up around himself. And one day he's watching television. You know, you know how it goes. He's watching television, and there is an advert about a third world situation, about adopting a child and, and supporting them. So he decides to give some money and write some letters to this underprivileged child in Tanzania. And he pays $22 a month to try to help this child called Ndugu. 
And then, on one occasion, after a long road trip in which he's trying to find himself, he comes back home, and, and he comes to, obviously, an empty house. He was living on his own. And uh, reluctantly just walks in and picks up all this impersonal junk mail that we all hate and uh, goes into his bedroom, which was obviously very messy. But as you watch the scene, you hear this voiceover in, in, in his head in which he recalls a previous letter that he had written to Ndugo. And this is what he wrote in the letter. I know we are all pretty small in the scheme of things. And I guess the best you can hope for is to make some kind of a difference. What difference have I made? What in the world is better because of me? I am weak and I am a failure. There's just no going around it. Really soon I will die. Maybe 20 years, maybe tomorrow. It doesn't really matter. Once I am dead and everyone who knew me dies, it is as though I have never existed. What difference has my life made to anyone? None that I can think of. Hope things are fine with you. Yours truly, Warren Schmidt. At the end of the voiceover that you hear, as Warren goes through the letters, the mail that had arrived, his face suddenly gives way to wonder as he sees a letter from Tanzania. And it is a letter of, from one of the nuns that works in the orphanage where the six-year-old Ndugu is in. She tells Warren that Ndugu thinks of him every day. And he hopes that he is happy. And encloses this picture drawn by Ndugu for Warren with two stick people smiling and holding hands. At that moment, Warren is totally overcome by the realization that probably for the very first time in his life, he is making a difference in somebody else's. He lifts his tired hands to his face and begins to sob uncontrollably. What difference are you making in your life? Then you might say, well, why, why are you asking this? I'm not that old to think about those kind of things. I'm not living in an existential crisis to think about it. But seriously, a good question for us this morning what are you living for in your life? What difference are you making to those around you? Because Jesus came into this world, and we see in this passage as Jesus is beginning to commission his disciples to go out and make a difference in other people's lives. We are here in this world with a reason and a purpose. And when we come to know Jesus we discover that even more fully and we realize that actually there's a reason for us to being here. And Jesus is encouraging the disciples, he's already spent some time with them and he's encouraging the disciples to really become missionaries. Now that is a very misunderstood word 
because when I'm saying missionary, you already have an imagery in your mind that involves somebody going somewhere else. J. John very helpfully used this definition. A missionary isn't somebody who necessarily crosses the sea, but somebody who sees the cross. And in other words, in order for all of us, and all of us, I believe, I believe we're called to be missionaries, we are basically those people who are called by Jesus because we have seen him, because we've understood the cross, because we've understood his love, and the message that that brings, the forgiveness, the hope, the restoration, the new life, we become these ambassadors of the same message that Jesus came to bring. And we don't need to cross the sea to be a missionary. We just need to see the cross. And this is what Jesus is doing. When Jesus had called the twelve together, Luke is saying, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and cure diseases. And he sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Jesus encouraged them to become those missionaries. What does it mean? What are the steps that need to be taken? What are the marks of a missionary? I'm asking myself this question and I hope this, this will guide you as we look at this in order to help us to make that difference and to be unlike Warren Schmidt, thinking we are wasting our life and it doesn't matter, but actually to think we are making a difference for Jesus and because of Jesus. And here are the, 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 the marks of a missionary. We've got seven. We're going to go through them and we're going to go quick. Here is the first one. In order to be a missionary, you need to respond to Jesus' call. Step back into Luke's gospel with me. It's a, a, another passage in Luke chapter 5, where Jesus is actually calling the disciples. Luke chapter 5, verses 1 to 10. Jesus had recruited these disciples, and he says here, one day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and have caught nothing. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them out. And they came and filled both boats so full they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on you will catch men. So they pulled their boats up on the shore, left everything, and followed him. You cannot be a missionary unless you have that kind of an encounter with Jesus. When Jesus comes across your path and makes that call and says, leave everything... Let go of everything and come and follow me. You will never be able to make a significant difference in this world unless you understand that that's the very first step that was so necessary. And it really happened with those disciples. They saw the power of God displayed in Jesus with that miraculous fishing. And they realized there was something about him. 
that was utterly arresting. They didn't get the full picture. They didn't know everything about him. But what they saw, and when he said, come follow me, they said, we cannot but go. And they left everything immediately and stepped into what would have been sacrificial obedience and very risky obedience into the unknown because they didn't know. Jesus didn't present them with a bullet point with all the agenda of what's going to be happening next. He simply said, I will make you fishers of men. Come follow me. And they responded. If you and I want our lives to matter, if we really want to be those kind of missional people, we need to first and foremost respond to God's call to follow Jesus. The second thing is, I love the fact that they learned from Jesus. They spend time with Jesus. So from what, if you were to read from Luke chapter 5 to Luke chapter 9, you realize that the disciples responded to that call and began to walk with Jesus, spend their time, all the time, with him. And in that time, they listened to Jesus' teaching. They looked at what Jesus was doing with the miraculous acts that he was doing, and they were astonished because they realized this is both about preaching and power. And also they observed Jesus' character. So many leaders disappoint us because they say one thing and they do another. But the disciples spending time with Jesus realized that there was an alignment between what he was saying and what he was living. And therefore there was this whole time spent with him learning from Jesus. And I would say if me and you want to be those kind of missionaries, we need to do the same thing. We need to spend time with Jesus, listening to his teaching, observing his power, and seeing his character. And as we do that, as the, the, the more intimacy there is between us and Jesus, the more we will grow into a heart for mission. Because we will grow to love what he loves. And that's the very natural step. So first of all, responding to Jesus' call, they learned from Jesus. But now there comes this, I love this, one day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, he calls them out. There comes this changing moment in their life. They've been spending time with Jesus, and they've learned from Jesus, and they watch Jesus do it, but actually they're ready to live for Jesus. A lot of people don't understand this aspect of what it means to be a follower of Christ. They think it's all about learning from Jesus, but it isn't just learning, it's also living for Jesus. It isn't this, this passive accumulation of information, but it is this Okay, I am continuing to learn from Jesus, but now I am living for Jesus and having an impact on the life of those people around them. And that's a big shift in them. And there is this ministry rhythm that is always present in Jesus' ministry. There's the gathering and the scattering, gathering and scattering, gathering and scattering. And that is incredibly significant because we gather, like the disciples did, to refuel, to rest, to equip ourselves. This is what we're doing when we come together, whether it's on a Sunday or in a small group. But then we scatter. We continue our lives in our workplaces, in our families, in our neighborhoods, wherever God has placed us. And we're living for Jesus as we have been impacted by his teaching, as we have been impacted by his power as we have been impacted by his character. But there is this ready to live out, and that's the very antithesis 
it's really interesting. I, I was reading some letters of resignation from some of the folks that have left us in the pandemic. And one of them uh, actually said, we are just tired of hearing you talk against consumerism in the church. We don't believe there is consumerism in the church. So in my heart, I actually thought, at least you're getting it. I'm bothered about consumerism in the church. And this is the very anti-consumerism. The disciples could have been hanging around Jesus for the rest of their life and never go out and just simply get teaching from Jesus, spend time with him, be awed at the miracles, and just hang around with Jesus. But that wasn't the heart of Jesus. The heart of Jesus is come gather in order to be scattered. Come spend time in order to be sent out. That's the normal rhythm of life with Jesus. And the disciples get it. So instead of being consumers that are just concerned about selfish accumulation, they realize that they're also contributors and servants. And whatever they receive, they receive in order to give out. Disciples of Jesus are overflow people. They encounter God in order to express something in their lives and through their life to those around them. If that isn't happening, there's a disconnection there. But the disciples got it, and therefore they were active and intentional, and Jesus wants to send them out because that's the normal rhythm. So if anybody's saying to me, Christy, stop talking about mission, or stop talking about evangelism, stop talking about going out, I'm saying I can't. Respectfully, I can't. Because it's the rhythm of Jesus, gathering, scattering, gathering, scattering. We need both. Unfortunately, we're bad at one and better at the other. We're pretty good at the gathering. We're pretty not so good at the scattering. That's why our churches aren't really growing. That's why we're not seeing hundreds and hundreds of people become Christians. We're pretty good at the worship. You know, we've got good numbers, but I don't think we've got. And therefore, as a pastor, I'm always overemphasizing, you get it, I'm overemphasizing something that I think needs to be addressed, not at the detriment of the gathering. And they are commissioned by Jesus, number four. See, we're getting through it. (laughs) They are commissioned by Jesus. Jesus is calling them to go out, and he's saying to them, they had called, he had called the twelve together. And he gave them power and authority to drive out demons and cure diseases. And he sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. They are commissioned by Jesus. You have to understand that Jesus has an agenda. And his agenda isn't just to go pat people on their heads and go around like some sort of Eastern guru just speaking words of peace to everybody. No, Jesus has a clear agenda. Actually, if again, we're stepping back in, in Luke uh, chapter 4. When Jesus begins his ministry, he goes into the synagogue. Let's read from verse 16. And he stands up in the synagogue and begins to read what his mission statement is. And he's quoting a passage from Isaiah. Jesus has an agenda. And it's important for us to realize as much as the disciples needed to. So Luke chapter 4 verse 16. It says, Jesus went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was the custom, and he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, and rolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, and recovery of sight for the blind, 
to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus has an agenda. And the same agenda is being imparted to his followers, to his disciples. So there is this passing on of the baton. The mission that he came for, that we've just heard, is being given also to those who are his disciples. And therefore they are commissioned to go out and do the same. Preach the good news and heal the sick. And encourages them to go in twos. We find this reference in Mark 6, 7. Encourages them to go as a team. And that's probably good for both humility and support. There's no superheroes coming back on their own, one at a time going, hey, guess how many people I've converted to you. There's no room for that in the kingdom of God. And in order to have that support and encouragement, there's two of them going out. And you can see that they respond to Jesus. And that's the sign of loving Jesus. You love me if you obey what I have commanded you. Loving Jesus isn't standing up in church and singing love songs to Jesus. That's good, but it's not sufficient. Loving Jesus means being obedient to what he is calling us to do. And that's what they do. They respond to this commissioning. Next one, I love the fact that they are equipped. I love the fact that Jesus doesn't simply say, right, lads, you're going out. Oh, thank you very much, Jesus. What, 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 what a daunting task. I mean, go out and do that. We are not you. We can't preach like you. We can't do signs of power like you do. So, Jesus, what, what are we going to do? I can imagine the insecurity, rightful insecurity, creeping in and saying, we can't do this. But Jesus anticipates this, and this is always the pattern of Jesus. Jesus doesn't just send us on our own, in our own power, with our own resources to do the work. He's saying, I will empower you. And he gives them power and authority. Authority is actually incredibly helpful, but only if it's backed by power. <laughs> you know, you're thinking of the conflict that is going on in the world now. World leaders could strut around and throw threats at Mr. Putin, but unless that gets backed by military power, it's just empty authority. But what Jesus is saying, I'm giving you both authority, you're going in my name, you're fulfilling the mission and the agenda that I came for, but I'm also going to empower you to preach the good news and show the people what God's like by signs of power. They're equipped. And it is that beautiful combination. And I hate the fact that the church very often splits the two. And they go, oh, we just love the power. We love the signs. Oh, we just love the preaching. It's not an either or. Seriously, if you read Jesus, it's not an either or. Any church that is focusing on one or the other is missing the point. There is this beautiful tension of a declaration of God's word, God's good news, but also the deeds that follow it, a demonstration of God's word. And Jesus' ministry was always present, in the early churches were always present, and healthy disciples are equipped both to preach, proclaim the good news, and also demonstrate the good news. And I love the fact that it is good news, that's what he's sending them out to, to preach, the kingdom of God. It is good news, and we need to remember that, because sometimes we, we kind of... Hold back because we think it's an okay average news. It is good news. 
And that's why Jesus is sending now to preach that. And it is holistic. It's speaking and showing. And that's when the disciples of Jesus most resemble Jesus when they speak and show. Again, not one or the other. There's <laughs> plenty of people who show, but they never speak. There's no explanation. And very often there's plenty of people who speak a lot, but they don't show it. You need the both. And that's what is seen here in a missionary call that Jesus gives to the disciples. Next one, they're responsive. As soon as Jesus is calling them out to do, it says in verse 6, they set out and went from village to village preaching the gospel and healing people every way. They just did it. They didn't delay. They didn't say, oh, you know, Jesus, can, can, can we have some more seminars on healing? Uh, oh, can, can, can we do a, a little bit more teaching on expository preaching? Jesus, can we spend a little bit more time? We're not really kind of confident. Can, can we just hang out with, a little bit more with you? Can we just let the water settle a little bit, you know, until things become a bit calmer? Maybe just get a bigger crowd around us just in case it kicks off. Can, can we not just make the teams bigger, you know, too, a little bit, you know? If I'm with so-and-so, pff, well, they're, they're useless. You know, I mean, you just watch them, you know, silence the lambs. They don't say a word. They just hang around there. And every time there's a, a little opposition, they just clear off. I don't, I don't want to go with so-and-so. Are you kidding me? Can I not go with so-and-so? You can just imagine there could have been all that discussion going on. And they could have said, Jesus, we're not quite ready. Classic excuse for not living missionally. Not quite ready. There's still sin in my life. Not quite ready. I don't really know how to explain the Trinity. Not quite ready. And when they ask about why there is suffering in the world... Here's the good news. You'll never be ready. We'll never be ready. And they didn't use any excuses. They just simply obeyed. It simply says they set out and went from village to village. There was a sense of urgency. There was no room for excuses. And I love the fact that they, they go with that sense of simplicity. You know, Jesus is saying, don't take anything with you. Whoa, what's that all about? I think it's about dependency on God. It is about not having the Trinity question sorted out and the why is suffering in the world sorted out and the self-esteem and the life that has no sin sorted out. That's what it means. It's dependency on God, on God's grace, on God's power, on God's wisdom. And to just simply respond. And then last but not least, here is the final mark of a missionary. They see a mixed response. Jesus anticipates this. So he's actually teaching them and painting them a picture of reality. Jesus doesn't say, guys, you know, when you're going to go out, oh, everyone, you'll turn the world upside down. In Martin Smith's word, you'll become a history maker. You know, everybody will love you. You'll grow the biggest churches. Everyone will be healed. Wherever you lay hands on, everyone will be healed. Everything will be absolutely fine. Perfect. You'll be loved. You'll be loved. Everybody's going to love you. No, he doesn't say that. Jesus anticipated his way. It's almost like Jesus gives them a prophetic word and he's saying to them, not everyone's going to be into the message. Don't, don't, don't freak out. Don't sweat it. Just leave it. You know, dust of your feet, which was a, 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 a Jewish custom that, that very often the Orthodox Jews took into practice when they just kind of, you, you know, were rejected. And Jesus is basically saying, some people are going to respond to your message and some people are not going to respond to your message. Don't worry about it. It isn't about success. It is about obedience. The trouble is we're so addicted to success 
and we're so obsessed about getting it right that we never do anything. But they were expecting. There was no theology of success in there. It was just that encouragement to persevere. You know, they, they, they chuck you out. They, they reject you in one village. Guess what? Go to the next. And it is what the Apostle Paul was doing all the time. He applied that missionary technique that Jesus had taught him. He went from one place to another. They, you know, they stoned him, threw him out, you know, put him in prison. I'm just going to go to the next one. That's all right. I'm not going to be deterred. There is that sense of perseverance of going on, even when there is no success, which there won't be. And people will have different reactions. And all of it created a stir. So actually, it wasn't just Jesus that created a stir. But Herod was freaked out because he thought, what's going on? I mean, there was another one that was stirring up. I had his head on a plate. He's dead, as far as I know. But there are these other people now that are causing a stir in the nation. What's going on? It grabbed his attention, and he was curious and confused about it. Let's come back to the question we had at the beginning. You know, what, what, what are we living for? What am I living for? What are you living for? You know, quite a few of you have been to funerals recently. And they always make me think. You know, it's the place where sometimes you think how, how truthful are the people that are speaking about the person that's passed away. I don't know about you, but I hope that when the time comes, if Jesus doesn't come back beforehand, and there will be a funeral of Christie's, you know, people wouldn't have to embellish and make things up. I'm not looking for them to say grand things, but I'm looking for them to sincerely say that I've lived for something. And actually, I'm looking for them to sincerely observe that my life wasn't about me. It was all about Jesus and his mission. Now, if I want to live in order to have that experience, and people sincerely saying that, not just, you know, let's Romanians have an expression, you know, let's speak well of the dead. How am I living now in the light of that? Am I fulfilling that? So really, if people are going to say, Christy lived for Christ. And you can substitute for Christy your own name. And really, how am I living my hours, my days, my weeks, my years? Because those would influence what will happen then. And even more of a poignant question for me, I'm not really incredibly bothered about what people will say about me and my funeral, think about me and my funeral. But what am I going to say to Jesus when I stand in front of him on that day, face to face? Am I going to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant, or some alternative that goes, you just sneaked in. <laughs> it's all right. You lived an average life wrapped up in your pursuit of your own happiness and your own possessions and your own popularity, you know, chasing all that this world has offered to, but through grace, you're here. Come in. What am I going to hear from him? That's the question. What will you take into eternity? I keep saying it, it's that poignant picture. I, I, 
that, that I heard Louis Giglio say, you've never seen any U-Haul trucks. That's the removal vans that they use in America at any funeral cortege. We're not taking anything with us. So what are we chasing? What are we living for? So in order to help us do that, maybe there are some, 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 some things that we, we need to put in place. And the first one is this. I would say, let's examine our lives today. In the life of Jesus' call to mission and to live as missionaries and those marks of being a missionary that we've seen, let's examine our life and ask ourselves the question, if I was to die and my funeral is going to be next week and I'm going to face Jesus next week, what will be said about me? And how am I living in order to influence what will be said both here and in his presence. And maybe as a result of that examination, I don't know about you, but I, I, I sense that there might need to be some recalibration of my priorities. I might need to look at the way I'm, I'm, I'm living, the, the way I'm spending, the way I'm thinking, the way I'm pouring out my passions. And there might need to be a recalibration to say, hey, this has got to stop, this has got to change, this has got to start. Something needs to be different. And really the calling of living as a missionary and living on missional and having a missional living is to live beyond yourself. <clears throat> to live beyond yourself. Not for yourself, but for Jesus. But to live beyond yourself in order to see other lives changed by his beautiful good news. And live for eternity. What we need to do, we need to make those imperishable, transcendent investments that cannot be taken away by thieves or rust or moth. Those imperishable, transcendent investments. Everything that we are, everything that we own, everything that we do, everything just to be poured out in that investment that changes other lives with the good news of Jesus that would make us live a life that we say it's worth living this and will help us to be at that moment at the end of our earthly existence at the end of our race so to speak at the end of our marathon to be able to cross that line and hear the words of Jesus saying well done good and faithful servant. That's our invitation this morning. That's our calling. That's an incredible opportunity. And I just hope that you sense that excitement that just as Jesus sent out the 12, he wants to send me and you into our day-to-day -day ordinary lives in our families, opening our eyes opening our ears, opening our hearts, opening our hands to actually be available. You might say, what do I have to do next? I don't know. And that's the beauty of it. But the Holy Spirit will help you figure out if you lean in and surrender and say, I'm going to step off the throne of my life. I'm going to seize control. I'm going to say, you take the reins. Let's start this adventure. Dare I say to you most respectfully, maybe your life seems boring and unsatisfied because you're trying to live it when it wasn't designed for that. The full life was designed to be lived in him, by him, and for him. 
And when we do that, when we surrender and we suddenly look at the week ahead and say, Jesus, what do you have in mind? I'm laying my to-do list. I mean, you may still need to do certain things like go to work and uh, feed the kids. <laughs> don't, you know, don't forget that. But asking the question, Jesus, what do you want me to do? Who do you want me to reach? Who do you want me to notice? And then just live every single day without sense of obedience. But I'm telling you, the secret is you're only going to hear if you're going to lean in. And that's the beauty. The two are very much linked. The intimacy with him and the influence that he wants to give us. Very often we kind of live our own life very selflessly and, you know, jumbled and really messed up. Because we don't lean in and we don't keep on saying, Jesus, what's next? What's next? Show me. And living with that sense of awareness, I'm telling you, you begin to live that life that he designed for you as a disciple, as a follower of his. Every single day, when you're going to examine your life at the end of the day, you're going to go, Jesus, what an adventure. What an adventure. I mean, it was tough. It was ups and downs, disappointments, exciting things. But this is the life that I signed up for. And it will bring you that sense of fullness in the now, but it will also bring you that sense of, I'm living for something that is way beyond me. Let's pray together as we respond in worship. Jesus, Thank you so much for coming into our world. Thank you so much for your love, for your teaching, for your demonstration of power and compassion. Thank you for your wisdom. And above all, I thank you for your incredible, sacrificial, mind-blowing act of love displayed on the cross. I also thank you that you didn't just close the book when you rose from the dead and ascended into heaven and said, that's it. Job done. Mission finished. But instead, you invited us all, all those who took on that invitation to say, come and follow me. And you said, now you go into the whole world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded. Thank you so much that we are co-missionaries with you. And I thank you that this mission is not impossible. It is possible. Not because of us, but because of you. And Lord, forgive us that we, we don't get the memo. We, we don't realize it. We're so wrapped up in, in our own chasing of stuff so wrapped up in our own insecurities that we don't realize that in order to live the fullness of life you designed for us, we need to flow with your agenda. And your agenda is proclaiming the good news and touching other people with your power and love. So Lord, all we can do is to say, here I am, fully available, don't want to get to retirement age and think, 
what on earth have I lived for? Don't want people to lie at my funeral to say that I was a nice person. Don't want to stand in your presence and hear, yeah, you did all right. Lord, wholeheartedly, we want to surrender to you afresh this morning and say, Holy Spirit, just guide us. Guide us this week as we listen, as we read your word, as we see what you're showing us, as we listen to what you're saying us, and then just simply act on it as we spend time with you and live with you and live for you. Help us, Lord. We want you to change this world, and we want to be your servants that take that message as your ambassadors. Amen. Let's stand together.